Look at my butt. Show number 270 of Look at His Butt. LT and JK talk Trek. Hey, listeners. Here we are. We're back. Here we are. This is Kitty or JK. Yeah, and this is Lena. And we're going to talk about Star Trek and William Shatner and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff because right. we're people that have a wide range of interests and <laughs> we know that whatever we're interested in, you're interested in. So th- that's the way it we It just roll. works out that way. <laughs> it's true. But the main thing we're interested in is William Shatner, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. That- uh, why don't we start talking about him? Because we never okay. do that. It, it's a topic right, right. that doesn't get enough attention. There's big news from the world of Bill. <laughs> the first big news from the world of Bill, we've mentioned this before, the ongoing divorce thing. Like, the divorce is mm-hmm. done. It's totally over, and they settled everything. But there was an article in uh, TMZ, and I think in a couple other places, that right. listed the actual details of the divorce. And, you know, not not to get too stalkerish, but it's kind of interesting just to see how they decided to settle things. So I had a few questions about this. The one Me thing, too. Yeah. Um, the thing that's getting a lot of hilarious, and I'm putting that in huge scare quotes, attention <laughs> is that there's all the stuff about the horses. And yes. part of the agreement was that Bill gets to keep the horse semen. Right. And people are treating that like it's a joke. And it's from reading what Bill has had to say and what other folks have had to say. um, That's really valuable, right? Because he breeds these horses that Mm -hmm. are very specialized and they're good horses. You know, he's a good breeder and they go for lots of money. The horse semen is incredibly valuable. So it's probably one of the the most valuable um, things that he owns aside from the property. So him getting to keep it is a big deal. Well, and he and Elizabeth are both in that business. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, he uh, and Marcy, after their divorce, ended up going back to court a few years later over the horse semen. Correct. Right. So it was so, a big deal. Yeah. 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 So this is the way they divided things up. Um, he gets two horses and he also gets the dogs, two dogs. She gets two horses and she doesn't get any dogs. So I guess, you know, he wanted to keep them dogs. So that's fun. <laughs> Um, he gets the horse semen and the horse equipment. She gets the Malibu Cove home. Do you know what house that is? I have no idea. I've never even heard about that before. Okay, so I was completely mystified that they or he had a house in Malibu Cove. Um, mm-hmm. And she gets to keep the the place in Versailles in Kentucky. And yeah. that, that kind of surprised me because he's had that for a while, hasn't he? Um, yes. Well, let me explain a couple things. First okay. of all, in Kentucky... Yeah. It's pronounced for sales. Oh, sorry. Oh, my God. So sorry. <laughs> my but, mistake. Um, at one point, I believe he had two different ranches or farms mm-hmm. in Kentucky. Okay. Um, and this was, oh, s- several, several years back that he sold one of them. Okay. So then he was down to one. Okay. And I guess it's going to her. Okay. So that makes sense. Um, interesting that he would give that up. Uh, you know, I wonder if that is an indication that he's less interested in keeping the horse thing going, maybe now that he's a little bit older, like he's sort of turning that part of it. Because wasn't that where they were doing a lot of the breeding was in Kentucky? Well, that's just it. The, the whole quarter horse thing was in Kentucky. Yeah. And um, 
I think he may be, I'm guessing, may be retiring from that part of it. Mm. Um, somewhere, some interview I, I just read recently said um, he's got, well, he's got two artificial hips. Right. But he's got, he's got I, th- I think it was arthritis in his Ooh. back Ooh. from all the writing. Oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he may not be doing that competitively anymore. Well, I could see that. He is getting up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. So Bill gets to keep, well, there's some vehicles and stuff, but who cares about that? Um, yeah. <laughs> he gets to keep the Studio City home, and that's the one that they renovated, I believe. I believe so. Okay. And he gets to keep the ranch in Three Rivers, which is the one that um, I we read the book about, and that's where he mm-hmm. goes. It's his little retreat. So he's keeping exactly. that. Exactly. Um, but I love this. Elizabeth gets the right to occasionally harvest some fruit from the trees on the ranch, and she also can go there to visit the ashes of her first husband and some of the graves for the horses that they had together. Mm-hmm. She also gets visitation rights. She can visit the dogs and some of the horses as long as she gives Bill advance notice. (laughs) (laughs) Only some of the horses. Yeah, not all of the horses. (laughs) Some of the horses. Uh, And he also gives her $2 million, which isn't really very much. Well, somewhere I read that was in the prenup. Yeah, yeah. And how long were they married? Oh, it was a long time, right? Was it? Oh, it was more than 10 years. Yeah, I was reading somewhere it was almost 20. Yeah, so... So... Maybe 20 years ago, it seemed like a big pile of money, and now not so much. Uh, well, and maybe it was a certain amount for every year they were married or something, but yeah. Um, well, you know, 20 years ago, that would be 2000, the year 2000, the movies were over. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, so at that point, maybe he didn't know if he was going to be making a lot more money Yeah. in the upcoming years, which, of course, he has from... You know, there was Boston Legal, and there was um, all his different commercial things, and his spokesman stuff, and endorsements, and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, maybe then that was a lot of money, but man, I mean, all the other stuff she's getting is quite valuable, but it's also stuff that I think you would go, do I do I want to sell this? Do I want to sell these horses? Do I want to sell one of the properties? Yeah. You got to wonder, like, just the the property in Kentucky, I would guess, is worth more than $2 million, right? I would think so. I mean, if you're going to breed and raise and train horses there, you're talking about a a fairly large chunk of real estate, I think. I think so. So just very interesting. So maybe that, as you say, is indicating what he's planning on doing with his life, as far as the horses go, as far as I know, you know, he hasn't made any announcements about no. not, not racing or not doing anything anymore, but there it is. Yep. So. And he is all over the place with this presenting Wrath of Khan stuff. Oh, man, he's so busy. He's just busier than ever. Every time I look around, he's doing a different thing. He's on Twitter. He's arguing with people. He's promoting all these appearances. <laughs> you know, he's traveling around the country and to Europe and other places. Um. He is also still working on um, his terrible show, The uh, Unexplained Thing. <laughs> yeah. And I was, you know, we've talked before about that show being kind of a, a prop for him and some friends, I think. I mean, it really seems like a lot of it is him going, oh, I know all these people who are into weird shit. And now yeah. I can have a show and have my friends on. So 
for a long time, he's been tweeting about that show that's called um, Oak Island, right? Which is that. Yes. Yes. So one of his episodes was about Oak Island. He had all those guys on his <laughs> show. And now he gets to like put a thing, a show that he watched into his show, I guess. <laughs> so like, whatever. Bill. Okay. Um, I um, did not watch it. So I have no. no idea what they discussed. I will not watch it. But there's a picture of him sitting at a table with all the, the you know, the old white dudes wearing their baseball caps mm-hmm. who are on the, the team and they're looking at a map and they've got things there. He looks very engaged and they're all like very intense talking about this thing, mm. which is almost certainly uh, a hoax of some sort or another. Yeah, some sort of woo-woo. Yeah. Guess where he was last weekend, last Sunday to be specific. Oh, I don't know. Where? Chicago. Oh, what was he doing? They, they had... um. McCormick Place, which is at the like the southern tip of my neighborhood, mm-hmm. had some convention. It was you know it wasn't the Entertainment Comic Con in you know Rosemont that shithole, but um he was it was some sort of convention. Oh. He was there Sunday. I think he showed Wrath of Khan and did his shtick. Oh, that's right. Okay, so that convention is called C2E2. I had read about yeah. it. I had no idea that he was going to be there. I didn't even see him promoting that. Huh. What does C2E2 stand for? No Do idea. You know? Nope. Okay. <laughs> but it was a big deal. Um, Interestingly, many conventions are now being canceled or postponed because of the whole coronavirus thing. Oh, I know. And... um. You know, because McCormick Place is a huge convention center and there's hotels attached to it and all around it and everything. And two of the big conventions we were supposed to have, having nothing to do with fandom, but like business stuff, Mm -hmm. they've already canceled. Yeah, they just canceled um, South by Southwest, which is a big deal in Austin. Yes. And so, you know, um, there's there's a lot of restaurants down around there. And so on my, my little local Facebook groups, people are going, you know, go out, eat at these places. And, you know, when they first announced about this virus, Chinatown was dead. You could go to the best restaurant in Chinatown anytime and get a seat. And so people are going, you cannot get it from eating Chinese food. And please patronize our local businesses in the affected areas. Yeah, stop being fucking racist. Racist and stupid. stupid well, yeah. that's kind of, um, <laughs> what is it, where they both mean the same thing? Oh, Oxymoron? Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> or redundant. It's just completely redundant. redundant. Yes. That's it. That's, that's it. it. Yes. So, um, I mean, it's, it's very serious. And it is. Luckily, we have these totally prepared people in charge at the top. <laughs> so on top of things. I know. Oh, anyway, let's not talk about that. It makes me depressed. Okay. Um, let's talk yeah, about... But, so he was like... You know, right there. I could have like walked down there. I mean, I could have gone. Well, listen, he's doing the thing at Ticonderoga, which you had mentioned once before. Mm-hmm. But what I found out <laughs> yes. is that there is a cruise, a dinner cruise associated with this particular thing that he's doing. Okay, so he's going to be in Ticonderoga June 26 and 27. And he'll be doing um, the autographs, the photo ops, and by popular demand, he will conduct tours as well as host Captain on the Bridge intimate, intimate Q&A chats. And then on Saturday, he's going to present his hour-long live on stage at Ticonderoga High School. Um, (laughs) So that's where they do that, apparently. Um, Okay. Yeah, Friday evening, he's also joining attendees on a three-hour dinner cruise on Lake George. And there's going to be entertainment. 
uh, our good friend James Cawley, the the host of the whole Star Trek tour thing, is going to do his Elvis impression. And, oh my God! Yep, and he will be joined by his longtime friend, the great Brian McCullough, who's doing his Roy Orbison impression. So you're going to get to see a <sighs> Elvis impersonator, a Roy Orbison impersonator, and then Bill. That sounds horrible. <laughs> not the Bill part, and not necessarily a dinner cruise. You know, that could be okay if the weather's nice. Yeah. But, oh, man. Yeah. So there's that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what happened. So I'm looking at the schedule. <sighs> um, you yeah, know, when starts... is this? May, you said? No, it's June. June. Okay. So June 26th is a Friday, and it starts at 10 in the morning. You register. There's tours. Uh, in the afternoon, there's the VIP group tour, and then there's the dinner cruise at 6 o'clock. And then on Saturday, registration starts at 9. Um, there's another tour with Bill. There's photos. There's regular tours. And then in the late afternoon, there's his show in the high school auditorium. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me see how much these tickets cost. I bet it's really fucking expensive. I bet it is. Um, let's see. If you want the VIP package, it's $85. If you want the whole... For the whole thing? Uh, no, that's just... Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm reading the wrong thing. Okay, this, I was going to say, that's damn cheap. No, that's just the admission. <laughs> that's just to get in. If you okay. want the whole package, it's $1,500. <gasps> yeah. And if you just want to go and hang out with him on the bridge, mm-hmm. it's $500. If you just want a picture, it's $160. And um, if you want sort of the lower grade tour, it's $500. So, yeah, that's how much it costs to do that. And presumably Bill's getting a big cut of that. But wow. Oh, wow. Well, I don't think we'll be doing that. I don't think we will be doing that either. Because Wow. Oh, oh but here's the, you want to know the menu for the dinner? Sure. <laughs> Dinner includes a tossed salad, assorted dressings, it's good to know, uh, coleslaw, potato salad, rolls and butter, mac and cheese, barbecue, <clears throat> barbecue chicken, barbecue ribs, baked apple dunkling with whipped cream. So that's what you get for your dinner with Bill. Oh, wow. <laughs> then you go back to your hotel and order a pizza? Like, probably, yeah. Okay. I mean, oh, it, man. Can imagine trying to eat barbecue chicken and barbecue ribs? Like, it would it would be so messy. It would be all over oh, the place. Yeah. It would be, like, I wouldn't eat that kind of food in front of a celebrity ever. <laughs> Just, I would And eat, you know what the other uh, thing is? If the coronavirus is still getting oh. going strong, they won't be able to get wet naps. Oh, my God. Because people will be using those for sterilizing. Exactly. Oh. So, oh. I don't know. If anybody's going to do that, let us know how it goes. Really? Well, maybe they'll, you know, have a contest like that contest we came in second place. Oh, yeah. Um, to, to get free admission to everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be willing to, you know, fly out there and rent a car. Sure, yeah, if, if we yeah. didn't have to pay $1,500 to do all that stuff with Bill. Mm-hmm. But, you know, good good for him for, for keeping doing it and adding all these special things to it to make it better for people. Funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, okay, so let's see. Um, did you want to talk about the rest of the book about Bill, or did you want me to talk about um, uh, Errand of Mercy? Because I do want to talk about that a little bit. Okay, let's do the rest of the the book of Bill. Okay. The book <laughs> so of Bill. if you remember, um, I think we closed out last time with um, Big Bad Mama and yes. then uh, Jason Alexander talking about what an influence Bill was on his acting. 
And I said at the time, I think I'm about halfway through. Well, actually, I was much farther than that mm. because a good quarter of this book is the um, the end notes, the footnotes, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, so, of course, we don't go back and read those. But anyway, I did not know this. Um, remember he had that show called Barbary Coast? Oh, yes. I've seen some And of he that. got to do lots of costumes and makeup mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It sounds like in here, the show was originally called Cash and Cable. Started mm-hmm. in the summer of 75. Bill got off to an inauspicious start on his new series when he broke the tibia and fibula oh. in his right leg while oh. filming a scene on a muddy, slippery street. Oh, no. And the falling horse, and that's a horse that is trained to take a spill on which he was riding, took a spill and landed on him. Oh, wow. Yeah, the horse was uninjured, but Bill needed a fiberglass cast on his leg and was unable to work for several weeks. Oh, man. Also, the cast broke several times. jeez. Oh, delaying production even further. Uh, what a shitty cast that it would break. What's up with that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I do remember this. I've seen this episode. Um, in, during the series, he managed to wrangle a role for his wife. Marcy appeared as Tranquility Smith. Do you remember oh, that? I, we watched that one together. I do remember uh, yes, that. Yes, I remember laughing about that name uh-huh. in the episode entitled The Battle, The Ballad of Red Wing Jail. Mm-hmm. So that did not go well. <laughs> um, let's see. Here's some of what the critics had to say. TV Guide noted, the plots are so involved that it takes someone with nothing else on his mind <laughs> to understand them. If there's anything that makes a spoof go poof, it's not knowing what's going on before they start making fun of it. Um, let's see. The Los Angeles Herald Examiner said uh, cable and cash didn't work because it was too vague. And then the New York Times says two man boys, the, time who will, the types who will spend the rest of their lives joshing one another with undisguised love and admiration. <laughs> oh my, okay. And then they said, Barbary Coast is the type of program in which when bagpipes are played in an adjacent room, a character goes to the doorway, pulls some heavy curtains across it, and the sounds of the bagpipes are totally silenced. <laughs> <laughs> bagpipes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Not all of us lost. One of the supporting players who appeared on Barbary Coast was a 26-year-old actor named Les Moonves, or Moonves. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And he says, that was my first role, where I delivered a telegram to William Shatner and literally said, this is your telegram, sir. <laughs> <laughs> he gives me a tip and I leave, and that's how I got my Screen Actors Guild card. He was very nice. You remember when you're a young actor, the guys who are very nice to you. Mm. His acting career stalled, but he found enormous success in other areas of television, eventually rising to chairman and CEO of CBS, where 35 years later, Bill would star in Shit My Dad Says. Yeah, that's right. Oh. Yes. And, and attain a reputation as a generally horrible person, actually. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is, this is really weird. Had the show business stars aligned properly at this point in his career, Bill might have gone from hosting American Enterprise, which I don't even remember what that was. Hmm, I don't know. Let me look it up. Okay. Um, gone from that to hosting the daytime game show Family Feud. <gasps> oh, my God, no. Oh, okay. uh, Mark Goodson and Bill Todman were apparently considering William Shatner in the role. 
that eventually went to British-born comedian Richard Dawson. Wow. He was on the leading edge of getting it, Dawson said of Shatner. I went to see Mark Goodson with my manager, and I said, you said I could try out for your next pilot. The guy you've already given the nod to is married to Percy Lafferty's daughter, Marcy, Bill's wife. Who's Percy Lafferty? Yeah, that's her father. I know that, but why is he important? Percy Lafferty, I'm going on with Richard Dawson's quote, because it will explain it. Percy Lafferty was the one who was going to make a decision on whether this show would go or not. Mark said, the problem being, I said, he doesn't have any more daughters I can marry. Give me a break. (laughs) I wasn't against William Shatner getting it, but he was married to Percy Lafferty's daughter. (laughs) I didn't know that her dad was uh, an executive. Well, yeah, that's, you know, she got, I think she got, the only work she ever got was through her connections with her dad or with Bill. Because her dad got her the job as like the uh, the person you could work on your lines with uh-huh. on Andersonville trial, which is where she met Bill. Hmm, okay. Somehow I had just not registered that it was her father who got her these roles and that he mm, was the okay. executive type. Okay. So now we're getting into the network is starting to think about reviving Star Trek. Um, in one proposed, uh, they're talking about the first movie. In one proposed scenario for the movie, Captain Kirk died, which did not please Bill, who heard this <laughs> news while he was touring with his one-man show. I was in the middle of nowhere, and then in brackets, upstate New York. Uh, Ticonderoga, <laughs> like, perhaps? Ticonderoga, and performing at the high school. No. And I called the producer. He said, we're killing you off in the first third, and I think we'll bring you back to life at the end of the movie. And I said, shit. <laughs> I'm sure he did. And then he said, uh, in late August, frankly, I got fed up with the entire fiasco as Paramount dragged its heels. I don't think Paramount Mount would know good science fiction if it walked up to them and slapped them in the face. Mm-hmm. Then uh, they were going to adapt Alan Dean Foster's Star Trek Phase Two TV pilot script into the big screen movie. Even Bill was hopeful about this, but Bill was adamant. Bill was adamant that Nimoy would not be a part of the project. And in quotes, he was finishing, he had finished playing a part in Equus on Broadway. He has written a book called I Am Not Spock, and he definitely refuses to wear pointy ears again, he said. I think this must be Bill in an interview. Yeah, I would say so. That's a weird thing. I mean, yeah, for him to say, you know, because he can't speak on behalf of the other actors and yeah that sounds very strange that sounds out of context yes he also took a sour grape snarky pot shot at star wars calling it a simple-minded cartoon well yeah (laughs) that's true okay trivia trivia um in the meantime bill um turned his attention from fighting klingons and studio executives to fighting tarantulas in Kingdom of the Spiders, a horror movie that he shot in Arizona that summer. Mm-hmm. Arizona with, in the summer. That's right, with Marcy Lafferty and a lot of tarantulas and uh-huh. uh, roping lots of women, that's for sure. And he played Dr. Rack Hansen. Rack. Do you know Dr. Rack Hansen has a first name? I thought Rack was his first name. Nope, that's like a nickname. It's <gasps> in quotes. What's his real first name? Robert. Robert. And Rack is short for Robert or something? I guess. That's weird. 
uh, Marcy co-starred, blah, 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 blah. I don't like that. I'm just going to pretend that his name is actually Rack because that's Rack, much, Rack much Hansen. better. Yes. Um, it was nominated for Best Horror Film by the Academy of Science Fiction. It lost to The Little Girl Who Lives Down the Lane. Oh, okay. Sure. It's not a good yep. movie, though. Definitely not a good movie. Yep. Uh Marcy's appearance in the movie was one of several acting appearances she made after marrying Bill, including small roles in, roles in the television shows Bronk, I don't even remember that, Barnaby Jones and Policewoman. Getting Bill's career back on, tra- on track was the couple's professional priority. Okay, so this is when he took an interest in karate. <laughs> I was just looking at that magazine that... Um... I yeah, the karate you, magazine. Yeah, that you gave me, that where he's in his gi and he's like doing a fighting stance. He's wearing a terrible toupee, also very bad. Mm. Um, he got the, the two guys, two scriptwriters, to work to write screenplays in which he would star, including one called "The Time of the Tempest," and another movie, "Future Requiem." Get this, in mm. which Bill would play an astronaut who treks into space becomes possessed by the devil, and then returns to Earth, where he's ordered by Satan to blow up the world. Oh, come on. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> um, as a sidelight, this is one of the screenwriters speaking. Bill was not a big spender in Hollywood, at least with us when we worked oh. with him. So he might have paid us below scale because at the time, we were not in the writer's guild. Um, he says, I, I liked him sure? a lot. Go, go ahead. Sure, he paid them as little as he possibly could. <laughs> right. People say he's an egotist, and he is, but he's an egotist in a nice way. Nice way. He certainly cares a lot about himself. He has a very strong self-image, but not in a distasteful way. He's got a great sense of humor. He's got a wonderful laugh, and he's a good listener. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, okay. that's true. Yeah. Publicly, the reunited Star Trek cast members proclaimed that they were happy to be working together again. I knew it was 1979, but it seemed like 1969 was just yesterday, Bill said. I felt exhilarated, gratified, nostalgic. At the same time, there was a tinge of disbelief and a bit of concern. It was difficult after so many false starts over a number of years to realize Star Trek was finally back. Oh, get this. Um, uh, McCoy, Bones McCoy, you know, D, described it as the family, just picking up right where we left off, while Walter Koenig painted a word picture of that first day on the set with Chekhov, Uhura, and Sulu sitting at their consoles as Captain Kirk walked in. I got such a high, such a rush at that moment, that it took all of my self-control not to embrace Shatner. Oh, interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice. Okay, now we're talking about Wrath of Khan. Oh, listen to this. Nobody else says this, but this guy does. It's talking about Ricardo Montalban. Mm-hmm. He wore a long rock star wig and what appears to be a cartoonish inflatable muscle suit. Nicholas Meyer swore time and again, and so did Nimoy that Montalban's massive pecs were real, but that's unlikely. Nobody else says unlikely. Nobody. When people Everybody were questioning that. that. that yeah. yeah, no, that was really him. He was in great shape. Why yep. did he say that? That's weird. Okay, this, this whole part, I'm not going to read it because it's dead wrong. When he first, this is talking about Takei, when he first read the script for Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Takei took a great deal of pride 
in the fact that Mr. Sulu is promoted to captain. News that he shares on screen in a brief scene with Admiral Kirk, and that got cut. That's not in Wrath of Khan. No, that's in... Uh... Um, uh, is it <laughs> Undiscovered Country? Is it that late? I, that, I was thinking, well, he is captain then, but... Yeah. Mm, I don't know. No, that's wrong. That's not yeah. right. No. So I just had to point out that that was wrong. And we are the most reliable people you could ever <laughs> hear. Okay. Well, he does talk about um, Meyer assured decay it would all be fixed in the editing room. It wasn't, you know, they were having trouble suiting, sh- shooting the scene. And uh, Meyer did direct Undiscovered Country, right? Mm-hmm. Correct, yes. He came yes. back for that. Okay. Okay. Um, blah, blah, blah. Wrath of Khan did really, really well. Harv Bennett, whose story set the framework for the Wrath of Khan, was asked to describe Bill Shatner. A matinee idol. I love that. <laughs> Full of himself, but for good reason. He's good and funny. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that movie got, um, got good reviews. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks about... Um, Leonard uh, guesting on T.J. Hooker doesn't have much to say about that. Oh, do you remember this? I'd totally forgotten that. In February 1983, around that same time as Leonard being on the show, um, word broke in the press about Bill's involvement with former Green Beret Lieutenant Colonel James Bo Gritz. Gritz believed that up to 120 American POWs were still being held in a cave in Laos seven years after the fall of Saigon. So he or organized a 45,000 19-man mission, four Americans, including Gritz, and 15 Laotian guerrillas, to search for and rescue the men in what he dubbed Operation Lazarus. Um, the mission was scrapped three days in when Gritz and his men were ambushed by local security forces and driven across the Mekong River into Thailand. Two Laotians were killed, and an American, Dominic Zapone, was wounded and taken prisoner. Uh, Gritz reportedly paid 17500 for Zapone's safe return. U.S. intelligence officials confirmed Gritz's account, but said they warned him ahead of time not to proceed with the covert operation. Mm-hmm. Um, then in February, he said he was going to go back, this time with a 16-man unit of former Green Berets. And uh, officials in Bangkok threatened to arrest him with the illegal entry and position of illegal weapons, blah, 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 blah. And he said his mission was financed with contributions from private citizens, including William Shatner and Clint Eastwood. Do you remember that? Uh, I remember Bo Gritz and all that. I don't remember Bill being involved in that. Oh, yeah, that's what I remember was uh, that, you know, Bill had given uh, him some money, apparently. Um, Bill and Gritz had met on the set of T.J. Hooker. Bill claimed that he paid Gritz $10,000 for the rights to make a movie about his life, oh. a plausible explanation, and said he was unaware that any of the money was being used by Gritz to fund his rescue mission. And Bill said, I didn't finance an undercover operation, just the life story of a man. What he was going to do with the money was none of my business. <laughs> That's ridiculous, Bill. That's that's ridiculous. Well, it's true. You're paying him, you know, for the rights to his life story. Are you going to say, are you going to spend this money on something illegal or something I don't approve of? That's none of your damn business. Yeah, I suppose so. But, oh, it seems, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it seems sketchy from the start. And you, mm-hmm. think you would have just known a little bit better about that. Mm, okay. Well, Bill did come to a quieter rescue that summer 
when a huge fire gutted parts of the Paramount Studios set in Hollywood during the filming of Star Trek III. He was dubbed a real-life hero in press accounts when he reportedly grabbed a fire hose and sprayed the soundstage with water, helping to save the expensive set from a fiery destruction. It depicted a Vulcan planet with rocks made from highly toxic polyurethane. Mm-hmm. Uh, the blaze broke out behind a tattoo shop facade on the back lot known as New York Street. The fire threatened to spread to stage 15 where Star Trek 3 was filming. And Bill said, we had a hose on the stage that was starting to burn. We came within 30 seconds of losing the set. That was the version fed to the media. There were reports that Bill was driven to the set where he posed with fire hose, only to be driven away shortly thereafter. <laughs> Shatner was there on the news and helped put it out, recalled Star Trek Three producer Ralph Winter. It wasn't staged, but Bill was not helping with the garden hose. <laughs> I mean... I- that all just sounds really weird. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just grab a fire hose and start aiming at it. I know, it. they're really like, you know... High pressure and all that, it'll just... They're really hard to control. Bang you against the wall or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, that all just sounds so strange. I have to say, from everything that you've read out of this book, it sounds like this guy read a lot of stuff, he talked to a lot of people, and he did not use a whole hell of a lot of discrimination when including stories in this book. Yes, yes. Any story he could get could go in. Just, yes. like, put it in. Just put it in there. Increase his word count. Good. Um. Okay. Bill directed 10 episodes of T.J. Hooker that season, whatever season, including Shootout, in which a 26-year-old Mexican-born actress named Vera Montez had a small role as a teller in the bank where Hooker, Corrigan, and Stacy respond to an armed robbery. Montez would play a much bigger role in Bill's life soon enough. Mm. Now, I'm going to give him props for just saying she was 26-year-old Mexican-born actress and never once used the word spitfire. (laughs) That is excellent. Yes, uh, good that he managed to avoid that, or maybe some eagle-eyed editor took it out every time he tried to insert it. (sighs) Okay. So before we end this half of the show, I just want to say um, I was watching TV last night and Errand of Mercy was on and I watched it because, you know, why not? And (laughs) boy, is that a good episode. It's so good. It's just so good in so many ways. Mm -hmm. I always forget how good it is until I watch it. And then it's like, oh, the writing is good and the acting is really good and it moves right along and it it really is a twist. Like if you haven't seen it, it before, is, yeah. you're just like, what is going on? And then you get to the mm-hmm. end and then it's a big revelation and uh, watching both Kirk and Kaur get uh, embarrassed and um, shown up by the Organians, yes. like it's super good. That, it really is. That one... I, doesn't get cited as often as you would think it would as one of the most political episodes. You know, people always mm-hmm. talk about um, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield and, yeah. and things that are just right on the nose. And that one is so anti-war. It's incredible that it basically says, you know, the two main warring factions here, uh, Federation and Klingons, a.k.a. U.S. and Russia, mm-hmm. are like children throwing tantrums yep. who must be allowed to fight it out because there's no way that they could ever 
reach a piece and it's it's an incredible viewpoint so um i was just amazed at how good it was just so good and bill is i know i've said this discussing this episode before but when the organians are talking to him and saying you know we can't allow you to have these violent actions we're going to put a stop to your violence there's a very long reaction shot of him being told this stuff and his face is just so good mm. like so many emotions going across it he's trying to maintain his dignity in front of the Klingons and yet he realizes like he starts off being super pissed off and then he realizes that they're right and you see that realization kind of go across his face mm-hmm. and it, it's an amazing acting job just in that reaction shot so good so very good he's Bill's a good actor he's a good actor he's a very good actor yep <sighs> so that was nice it was nice to see that again yeah Well, listen, I think we should take a quick break and then we're going to come back. We've got a ton of stuff to talk about in the second half. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about the Space Hippies. We're going to talk about Picard. And then I think you're going to tell us about Avenue 5. Yes. So we will be back. Right back. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission, to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Send us email at lookathisbutt at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and leave us a comment. Tell us your Trek news. So you may or may not know it, but there's a TV show on now that's called Picard. It's a variety show. <laughs> really? Are there puppets? Yeah, there are. There are puppets. There's um, some dogs that jump through hoops and things like that. Oh, they, do they wear little ruffled collars? I love they that. Do. Oh, they do. Wonderful. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, the Picard show. So uh, <laughs> as, as per our discussion before, I've been watching Picard, so you don't have to. And now I'm going to attempt to summarize, I think, the last four episodes. So I'll try to keep it short. Uh, I'm going to make some general observations and okay. then I'll tell you about plot stuff. So I will say, in my opinion, it's getting better. So good. Looking, looking back on the first couple episodes, which were quite slow and felt very tentative, I feel like with the last two episodes I watched, which were numbers six and seven, it's really in the groove now. Like it felt like Star Trek. It moved along. The characters were great. It was really, it was grooving. It was really grooving. <laughs> grooving, all right. Yeah, it was good. And part of that I put down to the fact that the three middle episodes were directed by Jonathan Frakes, who knows how to direct Star Trek because yes. he's had a lot of experience. Like let him direct all the Star Treks. He's really good at it. Mm-hmm. He, he gets it. And he was also really good in it. So I'll, I'll talk about that one last. Um, so the way this is all shaking out is that as we started the series, Picard was discovering that um, there are these twin um, androids, right. Data's daughters. One of them gets killed. He's going to search for the other one, whose name is Soji. She's on an abandoned, well, not abandoned, but um, a derelict Borg cube that's in Romulan space. And the Romulans are trying to figure out its secrets, etc. 
And at the same time, we're finding out that on the cube, there is a federation force that is called a Borg rehabilitation. And they're actually taking the Borg that were on the cube and taking out all their implants as much as they can and actually rehabilitating them and trying to turn them back into productive members of society. And the person that's in charge of that is our friend Hugh, who used to be a Borg. Yes, I remember Hugh. Hugh was great. And the guy who played him, Jonathan Del Arco, he's awesome. Like having him come back and do this character again was really, really good. So that was neat. Um, So it's turning out that the Romulans are dead set against there being any synthetic android life in the universe ever. And so they are behind um, trying to find out where Soji and her sister came from. There was apparently they were built on a planet somewhere, not on Earth and not on a ship. It was actually on some planet somewhere. Mm -hmm. They are trying to find out where it is so they can go to that planet and presumably destroy it. Right. What I'm thinking. They haven't said that, but that's pretty much what they're doing. So um, there's a. But Soji still doesn't know she's an android. She's just found out. Okay. So in episode seven is when she finally came to this realization. Oh, okay. Because one of, one of the Romulans tried to kill her. Hey. And she suddenly got her powers and was able to punch through a, you know, mm-hmm. a floor and stuff. And the whole series of her finding out that she was an, an android was really interesting. Um, it started with her having these weird memories and she couldn't quite place it all together and wondering what was going on. And looking at these pictures and so she started doing this thing in her quarters where she was using a some kind of scanner that was giving the approximate age of all of her possessions mm-hmm. and all of them were coming back as 37 months <gasps> like everything that she owned was only 37 months old right and right yeah it was like oh that was pretty good and uh-huh. it made her totally freak out so anyway um we've gotten to the point where one of the the hot Romulan that she was sleeping with, mm-hmm. I believe his name is Narek. He got her to remember some facts about this planet where she was, and so now the Romulans are going to go there, and Picard and his crew are going to try to go there at the same time. So who's going to get there first, and how is this going to get resolved? That's kind of where we are. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, um, they found Bruce Maddox, who we think is the guy who actually made both. Uh, Soji and her sister Okay. with bits of data. Bruce Maddox was the guy in Measure of a Man oh. um, who wanted to take data apart. Oh, right. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. he like an admiral or something? Uh, he was something. I don't quite yeah. remember. Okay. But, all right. Um, well, keep going. Played by a different actor. But, oh, but all back right. Here. Yeah. And so in one episode, which you might watch sometime because it was pretty funny, um, they're, they're trying to find him, and they find him on this planet, which I'm calling in my head Planet Las Vegas, <laughs> because that's basically what it was like. So they have to beam down to this casino, and they dress up in disguises, uh, and Picard is wearing an eye patch. I and, saw pictures of that much, yeah. sort of this weird Victorian leather jacket, and he puts on this Pepe Le Pew French accent, which is so hilarious. Oh my it god. Is the funniest thing you've ever seen. And the guy who's the captain of his little ship dresses up like a pimp with a hat with a feather in it. It's like, <laughs> it was directed by Frakes. He's got a good touch with comedy. Yes. It was pretty funny. Uh, so, Picard, he's got his little crew. They're going to do this. Um, he meets up with Seven of Nine, who happens to be part of a group of rangers who are sort of patrolling these outlaw areas of the, the galaxy. And uh, 
you know, she gives him some info on the Borg and what's happening. Uh, I saw from the previews that she's going to show up in the next episode. So good. I'm glad she's coming back. So that was good. And um, in the very last episode, episode seven, um, there's a big fighty fighty on the (laughs) Borg cube. You know, there's fights, there's tension, they're going around. Picard's there, he meets with Hugh, he finds Soji, and then they have to escape, so they go through a, um, what the hell did they call it, a dimensional gate or something Mm -hmm. that was in the Borg cube? It doesn't matter, it was magic. And they went through it, and they ended up on the planet where um, Riker and Troy now live. So that's how they come. Yeah, right? So it's like everybody, everybody's in this now. And so I just want to talk a little bit about that episode, because it was so good, and Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis were so good bringing back those roles again, mm-hmm. but but different, but older, mm-hmm. with more wisdom, but still them and interacting with Picard. And it made me think, and the same thing about Jerry Ryan, too, being seven of nine, like they were so underserved in those roles when they were on television, you know, yep. they're good actors. They're really good actors. And they could have been so much better. And they were, especially Marina Sirtis, was given such a lot of shit that she had to work with in that role. Yes, that was a terrible role. I sense confusion. And last night, part of her big scene was um, talking to Soji about what it was like to discover she was an android. And she was so calm and feeling and, and sort of sensible at the same time and not going overboard with the beta Z empathetic stuff you know mm-hmm. she's just really good and really in the moment like as an actor you totally believed what she was saying that she was there and she was being that person and then part of the plot is that Riker and Troy have a, a daughter but it turns out they also had a son who passed away and there are several points where you see how that affects them. Like they moved to this planet because they thought it might help heal him and it didn't. And he died and they have kept his room sort of as a shrine to him, Mm -hmm. which is a little weird. Um, But they, the way they talk about him and then you can see points when they're talking about relationships between parents and children and all that, Mm -hmm. the pain is so close to the surface for them. It's like right there. And again, so real and so believable. It mm-hmm. was just so good. And I was super impressed at the level of acting that was going on in this series. So wow, good. Just so good. Really, really, really good. But funny, you know, uh-huh. and, and, you know, things moving right along and, and everything not dwelling on it. It wasn't maudlin. It was good. And seeing, well, first of all, I will say that Jonathan Frakes continues to be tall. That is his distinguishing good, good. feature as an actor. <laughs> But seeing him now as an older dude, you know, he's like, he's bigger. Um, him and Picard next to each other. Patrick Stewart is so small. He's a little old man now. Well, you know, as you get older, you shrink. You shrink, I know. And and I think they're not, they're not shying away from that. They're actually kind of leaning into it. Mm. That Picard is a little old man. And that other people that he's dealing with are younger and more capable. And that even Riker and Troy are younger and more capable than mm-hmm. him. And you see that not just in the way they talk and in the way they're trying to make plans, but physically, they're just more, they're younger. Yeah. And, and Riker is so much bigger than he is. And it's 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 really well done. I don't know. I was just impressed visually with that episode and, and with the acting. So 
Um, I It was great. I was really happy. It was like, wow, this is so Star Trek. It was so nice to see it being Star Trek. Yeah. Feeling all those feelings. So it was good. Um, there is another character who I don't think you met, whose name is Elnor. Mm-hmm. He's a Romulan, and he basically is like a samurai elf, um, <laughs> and he really is. He dresses like a samurai. He has a samurai sword, and through various things, which I'm not going to bother to explain, he has sort of bound himself to Picard's cause, and so he travels around with him. Is he the prettiest? Um, he's pretty good-looking. Okay. But he's, so here's another thing about the show that's really distracting to me, and I don't know if people find this so distracting. Everybody, all the actors, have their own actual accents. So the guy who plays the Romulan is Australian, so he's a Romulan with an Australian accent. Mm. It's very distracting. And every time he shows up, I expect him to be like, oh, good day, Picard. How you going? <laughs> like, really? It's just a little bit weird. I don't know. I mean, it, if you just look at it holistically, it's like, well, of course people would have accents. They come from different places. And if they're right. speaking English, they would not be speaking it all in the same, you know, American mm-hmm. accented English. But it's just the Australianness is really throwing me off. <laughs> Um, so, Elnor, Samurai Elf. Okay. Also, someone pointed out his name, Elnor. In Tolkien's invented Quenya language, El is the word for star, as you probably remember right. from Elbereth and other names. Mm-hmm. And the, wor- the word part Nor means to run or to walk or to make a journey. Mm. So, his name sort of literally means Journeying Star Trek. Star. Oh, yeah, Star Trek! Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I wonder hmm, that's pretty cool. And, it is and cool. Subtle. Pretty, I think it's true. I don't think that that was an accident. I yeah. think somebody actually went and looked that up and made his name be Elnor. So it was funny. Uh, so there's uh, three more episodes. Ten episodes is it. And then we'll see what happens. So it's going to be a big deal. They're going to find the planet. Stuff will happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know how this is all going to turn out. Uh, the Romulans are clearly the the bad guys here. But I don't know what's driving them. Um, I am so bad with all the names of the people mm-hmm. in the show. I, it's like I go for like Samurai Elf when I look at him. Yeah. <laughs> There's all these other subplots that I haven't even told you about. It's fine. You know, you can proceed without knowing them. But I did remember today that uh, the woman who is the Romulan spy who was in Starfleet, mm-hmm. her name, her Romulan name is Narissa, but her Starfleet name was Rizzo. And it just made me think that they named her after a character in Greece. And that yeah. Was... <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> She's, she was a pink lady. Does she, she have a, a pink Does lady. she have a pink satin jacket? She does not, but just I like, bet it's on, in really? their closet. <laughs> oh, Rizzo, they could have picked a different name. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Star Trek's Picard, it's good. I like it. I like it more. I think it got better. Okay, um, good. Not sure if you want to watch more episodes of it. You might want to watch the one where they go to Space Las Vegas because that was pretty good. And, um, uh, do you know what like episode number that was? Or Oh, I, I would have to look it okay. up to see which one it is, but I can tell you. But it's not called Space Las Vegas. <laughs> it's not called Hard Rock Star Trek or Hard Rock Space? It is Space? not. It is definitely Jeez. not. Okay. No. okay. All right. 
Anyway, so that's enough about Picard. I would love to hear what other people think about Picard if they were as impressed with that episode as I was, what they thought about the acting and the everything, because, yep, it was it was great. So, yeah, why don't you tell us about this other Yes, now, this is on uh, HBO. It's called Avenue 5. And if you've seen any commercials, you know the premise, at least, is that um, these people, and there's a lot of them, are on a space cruise. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be eight weeks, and something happens, and so they're not getting home. And it's a comedy. And I just mm-hmm. watched, just before the show, the first two episodes, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Oh, good, um, good. The production values are both funny and well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you find out more and more about these people, you know, there's like over a thousand people on this giant ship which they later tell us is so big it, it generates its own gravity well. Um, mm-hmm. The captain, played by Hugh Laurie, yes. uh, when he's speaking to the passengers, you know, he's smiling and, you know, the whole thing, and speaks with an American accent, as he did in the Doctor Show house. Mm-hmm. But when he's talking privately to the crew or the owner of the company who is on this cruise, he's got an English accent. And it turns out, you know, because when they have their accident, it turns out, you know, this owner of the company is going, well, you have to do something. He goes, I'm not really the captain. What do you mean? (laughs) Who's the captain? Well, the the real captain was Joe, and he got killed. And (laughs) this is just, Joe had no social skills. This is just a guy the company hired because he had the right look. (laughs) And his job is to go around and smile and make sure everybody's Mm -hmm. having a good time and the exit keeps coming and going but anyway something happened joe is you know outside repairing part of the ship and something happens and this is hilarious the um all the gravity goes to the port side of the ship suddenly (laughs) and so these hundreds of people who are in this main large open area all go And, you know, it's like, what happened? And, you know, so everybody is injured and they do these great little, little shots of different parts of the ship where this is happening. And there's the one I loved was there's a guy who was getting a massage and suddenly all of the hot massage stones are falling on him. <laughs> so it's a very funny, funny show. Um, Josh Gad is playing... Uh, the owner of the company, and he is an idiot. And his assistant is very snarky and very wonderful. And every idea he comes up with, it's like, oh, my God. You know, he goes, yeah, that's science. Look it up. It's science, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and who else is in this? Oh, oh, this actor I love, uh, Zach. I forget his name. But he was on The Office. He was on Silicon Valley. And he's like the social director, and he says the stupidest stuff. And whenever you are walking around the ship, there's, remember how when we were on, you know, an ocean ship, there'd be signs or, or things saying yoga today at seven, you know, and everything. Mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. these are, are um, like little holograms in frames. And so the first one I saw was him going, um, are you feeling hungry? Come to the cafeteria on deck five where we're having brunch. You will be satisfied. And if you're not... You're wrong. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, they are, that makes sense. They are also in contact with Mission Control, which is on Earth. Mm-hmm. So there's a 26-second delay. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so you say something and then you, while you're waiting 26 seconds, you start talking to other people. When the answer comes oh. back, it's not what you're talking about anymore. And the guy who owns it keeps going, get that fixed. And that, <laughs> that's how Joe died. He was trying to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it's just, it's so silly. And like I say, I've watched, um, you know, two episodes. Um, the guy who played... David Wallace on The Office is one of the passengers, and his wife is the most annoying and controlling and aggressive person ever, so she's pretty much running everything. Mm -hmm. It's just, and it reminds me of The Office in certain Mm -hmm. ways, because you have this thing where the most incompetent people or person are in Mm -hmm. charge, and it's got a similar sort of rhythm, which is that... um, it's not beat, 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 laugh, beat, 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 mm-hmm. laugh. You know, it's like regular conversation and there'll be a big laugh, but then there's lots of things along the way that are making you smile. Mm-hmm. And um, the only thing I'm a little worried about is, okay, these first two episodes were establishing what has happened. They were going to, as part of the ship, um, slingshot around one of the moons of Jupiter to get back to Earth. And mm-hmm. the accident happened when they were approaching that point. So they miss that opportunity. And now they will not get back to Earth for six years or three mm-hmm. years, something. Anyway, oh, wow. it was supposed mm-hmm. to be an eight-week cruise. Some moron comes along who's done a different calculation. He says, they can get back in six months. But he's someone who always fudges his numbers. So who knows what's happening? But the whole first two episodes, half-hour episodes, were establishing all that. And I went, okay, okay episode three something has to happen. We cannot mm-hmm. just go along doing these funny vignettes of rocks falling on people, although I greatly appreciated it. Um, and I'm thinking they have to find out, you know, it was a sabotage or something. Right. So I'm, I'm eager to see where this is going to go. It's very smartly written, very smartly performed. And I just got such a kick out of it because it's, it's like... A, a fanfic, you know, science fiction and Star Trek, for the most part, is serious. But there has to be a um, a non-military, you know, thing of this. Oh, a big ship. Mm-hmm. We can take people on space cruises, you know. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they have, they have maintained the whole idea of the cruise in one of the cabins where the controlling woman is with her husband. Um, their viewfinder is set to, like, desert. And it will not go to anything else. And she's going, we're, we're on a space cruise. Could you at least set it to space? You know? And, you know, just <laughs> all of the, uh, you know, the amenities of a ship and everything, they're all there. But it's all in space. Oh, that's great. Um, I, I knew about this because it was created by a guy named Armando Iannucci, who did uh, Veep, which was on HBO for a yes, long time. Yes, yes. And he also, in England, had done The Thick of It, which was a very brutal political satire starring Peter Capaldi. And he also did the movie uh, The Death of Stalin, which was amazing. Oh, oh that yes. was a great movie. Yes. yes. Okay. So that's him. That is his deal. So I was expecting it to be good, and I'm, I'm glad to know that it is. Oh, good. Yes, well, I am... I I am recommending it. Avenue 5 on HBO. Um, if you don't have one of the various versions of HBO, maybe a friend or family member can let you use their password or whatever. But yes, anyway. I'm sure that it will be available. Yes. Other things. It's right. very, very funny. 
Okay. And I'm anxious to see where it goes. Thank you. Um, so let me close this out by talking about the Space Hippies episode. And I, oh, I promised I would find out a little more information. I found out a lot of information. Now, most of this is coming from the um, Mark Cushman book called These Are the Voyages. Mm-hmm. And some of his research has been called into question. So take all of this with a grain of salt. Okay. But, um, I will try to be as brief as possible so that people are not getting too bored. Um, the idea for this episode was actually from Dorothy Fontana. And this was the episode that was supposed to be about McCoy's daughter, Joanna. I just read this recently and I was so shocked to hear that Dorothy yeah. Fontana had any connection to this. So her original idea was that it was going to be, it, boy, it sounds like fanfic. It was a, an, ep, no, really. I mean, yes. this, this is the kind of thing you would expect her to write is that it was about McCoy's relationship with this daughter that he hasn't seen for a long time. She comes on board the ship and she wants to go to this planet, um, Eden, where uh, it, it's not about, you know, it's a, a paradise or anything. It's just, it's it's a place where... You can get away from the rest of society. Okay. And McCoy hasn't seen her for a long time. He had wanted her to be a nurse or something, and she didn't want to, so he's mad about that. You know, apparently the divorce was not good. Then there's this aspect to it where Kirk kind of gets interested in her, which is really creepy. That and I don't is like creepy. That at yeah, all. yeah. So um, they couldn't make it work. They just didn't think that there was enough story there mm-hmm. for for it to go, even though. You know, she wanted to do it. Obviously, DeForest Kelly wanted to do it. She'd gotten this idea through discussions with him. From some of the stuff that's in here, the way McCoy's character is drawn doesn't really seem right. I mean, he seems super bitter about the divorce Mm. and saying, you know, oh, like, you know, I can't forgive your mother. You're no good, just like your mother. Oh, I don't know, man. That doesn't seem like McCoy. So um, they just couldn't make it work. So they decided to shelve it, but to uh, try to rework it, which they did. So they turned the Joanna character into Chekhov's girlfriend, -girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, Irina. And then they focused more on the story of the space hippies trying to get to this, you know, Nirvana planet where they could go. And of course, Kirk doesn't want to take them there. So they commandeer the ship and that's the episode. Right. Yeah. And they had to pat it out with the music because they kind of didn't have enough story to make the whole thing. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And Dorothy Fontana um, took her name off the episode because <laughs> she was like, nah, this isn't this really sucks. what yeah. I want to do. Yeah. So, you know, there are good things and bad things about it. It was interesting to read about the, the actors. So most of the actors who were cast as the hippies were very young. And for some of them, they hadn't had a lot of experience. And I think you can kind of see that in their performances. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not they're not good actors. But they did mostly sing. When you hear them singing, that's them singing. Oh, they hired okay. people who could sing and could also play instruments. So, you know, and they were pretty looking and they could wear those ridiculous costumes. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing I want to focus on. The woman who played... Chekhov's ex-girlfriend, Irina, her name is Mary Linda, with a hyphen between Mary and Linda, mm-hmm. and her last name is um, Rappelier, which is a very interesting name, and I had to go watch a clip of her on a talk show to figure out how to pronounce it, because I mm. really wasn't sure. <laughs> she hadn't had a lot of acting experience. Um, she was in, in Cold Blood, which was kind of interesting, mm-hmm. and then she had some other, um, a few other things. 
and she was supposed to be the focus. Although in the end, she didn't actually getting that much. She didn't get that much screen time, right? Yeah. So an episode that was originally focused on the female character, that wasn't the way it played out. The episode was more focused on Doctor Severin yep. and the male character. So thanks a lot for that. Um, but she said that she had a, a really good time. She liked all the people that she worked with. Um, they had a good time filming the episode. You know, everybody kind of got along and things like that. So here's some stories about Bill. Okay. One of the other actors said, uh, in the second episode that I did, Bill Shatner was quitting smoking. So he was a cranky Canadian, I'll tell you that. <laughs> he would walk on the far end of the empty soundstage yelling, I want a cigarette. And I remember that there was a scene we were filming where Kirk saying, the only reason we're not going to arrest you is because you're the son of the ambassador. And my line was a sarcastic one, something like, oh, man, I'm bleeding, which was essentially somebody's idea of, oh, you're breaking my heart. Mm -hmm. The scene wasn't working. And I made a suggestion to the director and to Bill and said, why don't I just start to walk away from you and you can pull me back? We tried it that way. And that was a big mistake because Shatner grabbed my arm and, pro and practically pulled it out of the socket. Oh, wow. I mean, my arm was numb for a day and I was pissed because it really hurt. Shatner was a real bull, a strong guy. But even though that struck me as kind of weird, and he was coming off a bit like Herbert, I did respect him. He was quitting smoking, he was getting divorced, and that's a lot of baggage to carry to work. But he yeah. got the job done. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I thought that was um, a, a funny story. Um, let's see. As you might expect, uh, you know, the episode really suffers from the fact that it was a bunch of... 40-year-old white guys trying to imagine the way hippies are. Yeah. Uh, and it's just so evident that they they were grafting this on. The idea of young people wanting to find a nirvana was in the original episode, but it got turned kind of literally into a nirvana thing. And uh, I don't know, it just doesn't work very well. So I want to read two things. I'm going to end with a really good Bill story. But before this, here's something I posted to Facebook because I couldn't believe it. So um, let's see. This is Mark Cushman's words. Regarding the use of science in this story and the writer's predictions concerning the future, an article posted on the Wikipedia Star Trek website Memory Alpha says... And this is quoting Memory Alpha. Okay. Uh, one of the interesting predictions of this episode is that sterile technological societies can lead to the development of virulent bacterial strains. This has indeed come to pass in our time with bacteria that have grown resistant to antibiotics. Some scientists also believe that our sterile environments cause the immune system to become hyperactive, leading to increased incidence of allergies. Then back to Cushman again. Many believe that AIDS is a result of man's tinkering with nature. Some even claim is a result of politically driven covert scientific action. And I read that and I thought, what are you saying? Do you believe that? <laughs> um, I have heard of people who do believe that. Me too. But it's but like... they're crazy. Yeah. Well, um, the, the husband of a friend of mine, do you remember swine flu... Oh, yes, of course. Okay, my yeah. mom was a, a, a swine flu nurse giving people the vaccinations. and um, But this husband of a friend of mine believed the whole swine flu thing was a, a hoax by the government to see how they could handle an outbreak of something. Oh, okay. That it was like a test or an experiment. Oh, my God. I well, know. 
you know, like, okay, sure, it's fine to acknowledge that some people feel that way, mm-hmm. but to say many believe is, you know, it's kind of endorsing that view. It it's kind not- of is, or, or, or you should say, um, some people believe this, but there's no evidence that that is true or right, something. Right, you know, exactly. You've got to, so, yeah. Uh, that made me, it just like chilled me. It was really weird. Like, mm-hmm. wow, man, that is so not the place to put that into this book. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Don't need that discussion. Don't, don't need that. Don't need that. Okay, so let's go back to, to Bill because we need to talk about this. Okay. Ma- Bill. Mary Linda Rappelier, okay? Uh, she yes. loved being on that episode. She thought it was great. She also got a dinner out of it. She said, Bill Shatner asked me out. He picked me up at my little apartment, which was right next to the Magic Castle in Hollywood, and he brought me this watch. And I'm a very conservative girl from Kansas City, private school, and I'm a young, naive kid. So I'm looking at this watch and he has that he has brought me on a first date. It was a metallic red flower watch with interchangeable faces. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what's this? Don't men bring flowers in Hollywood? <laughs> And then we go up to the Aware Inn for dinner, this wonderful place that had vegetarian food, but it all felt just kind of funky. And then he drives me up to Mulholland Drive and somewhere down in the valley to this house he's looking at because he's getting divorced. So Strange got a little stranger and it just wasn't my cup of tea. So it was an early date and it was the only date. I once thought about getting a t-shirt that said, I did not sleep with Bill Shatner. that an awesome story that is great oh my goodness so there you go there's a story about bill taking a pretty young actress out on a date and just being a total klutz about it and (laughs) does she still have the watch it doesn't say you could she's alive you could write to her and ask i bet she doesn't what what a strange gift to bring yes i know why would you do that that just seems so weird yeah and then, you know, they go out to like dinner. Like he bought it off they... a street vendor or something. Thinking, exactly, oh, I yeah. I was like, oh, got, got to, yeah, got to have something. And then they go for this long drive and he's showing her a house he's thinking of buying because he's getting divorced. Like, what is that about? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> but I love it. So, yeah, I think she'd be one of the few that had that T-shirt that said, I did <laughs> not. not sleep with Phil. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, it was just unexpected. I was very happy about it. So um, there you go, folks. That's the true story of the Space Hippies episode. (laughs) The true story. Oh, by the way, in the the quotes in the book, and I know that this is just of the time, but in the early drafts of the script, they're called Space Gypsies, which is like a total slur, and you should never, ever say that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really bad. So maybe in a way it was good that they switched to hippies because it would have been very, very bad if they'd actually called them gypsies, which is right. a terrible Yeah, that would, would be bad. Oh, dear. Yeah. All right. So there we go. I think we're all caught up. Well, there's one thing I want to point out. <gasps> yes. That Shatmoy is coming up. <gasps> That's true. And it is. Um, maybe we will be doing another show, maybe in the middle of Shatmoy. But we wanted That's to good. let everybody know so you can start planning your celebrations and mm-hmm. what foods you're going to serve and the decorations you're going to put up and because uh, it's it's that wonderful time of year 
It is. I'm sure Maynard is going to be celebrating Shatmoy. He always does. Oh, well, yes. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, everybody make your plans, like decide what episodes you're going to watch or mm-hmm. what movie, you know, maybe maybe put on Kingdom of the Spiders or, or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, make it fun. Make it festive. Watch things. Watch that episode of TJ Hooker that Leonard is in because it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> yeah. As you remember, we watched it not that long mm-hmm. ago. And it was very, very silly. Yep. So, yeah, uh, do it. Just have a really good time for Shatmoy. Bill would want you to have a good time. He would. He definitely would. So that's it for now. Please go hang out with us over on Facebook. Post stuff. Send us questions, comments. And um, we will definitely be back with another episode very, very soon. Okay. And until next time, live long. And, and pop, pop. Bye. Bye.